Hello, I am Trent Reinsmith, your host of the Daily Come On Now MMA podcast. It is September 2nd, and it is time for another edition of the podcast. Today's topics, a fight between Habib Nurmagomedov and George St. Pierre could determine the greatest of all time, but there are things we need to consider before we place the crown on top of either of the heads of those men. Uh, The MMA media let Dana White skate on the lies he told at the 2020 RNC. That's not a surprise, but it is disappointing. The Dana White Contender Series is a great format for the UFC as a business, but if you're one of the fighters who get a UFC deal off of the Dana White Contender Series, well, that's another story. Yes, the UFC hired the woman who went viral for trying to prevent someone from stealing a TV from Best Buy, and that's great. What's not so great... The fighters who will pay her salary and Dana White's salary, those fighters aren't UFC employees, and that's a problem. There's been some talk that if Habib Nurmagomedov and George St. Pierre do fight, that it's going to figure out who the greatest of all time is is going to be, and I don't I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that because. St. Pierre is too advanced in his age right now and too far out of the game to still be in that conversation. So if Nurmagomedov beats St. Pierre and the fight is at lightweight, I don't I don't think that really dec- that really makes Nurmagomedov the the goat. I would argue that if St. Pierre beats Nurmagomedov at lightweight that's a different story then his his uh, grasp on the uh, greatest of all time title for what it for what it's worth gets a gets a lot tighter because uh, a champion in three weight divisions and the amount of time between the each title is pretty impressive and the hand Nurmagomedov is his first career loss, also very impressive. Now, if John Jones moves up to heavyweight, which is, from what we understand, in the works, and he ends up grabbing the heavyweight title, and then you got a real dilemma if, if St. Pierre beats Nurmagomedov at 155, if, if you're looking to crown a goat, you got a real dilemma there because for all intents and purposes... Without Steve Mazzagatti and without the stupid 12 to 6 rule, Jones is undefeated. If if he remains undefeated, if he remains unbeaten at heavyweight, and then that creates a whole different dilemma. But getting back to the Nurmagomedov and Saint Pierre thing, I just don't. I think that if, like I said, if Saint Pierre wins at lightweight or even at welterweight, I think you could say, yeah, he's he has a right to be called the greatest of all time. If Nurmagomedov beats St. Pierre at lightweight, I don't think that claim can be made. If Nurmagomedov beats St. Pierre at welterweight, maybe, maybe he got some wiggle room there. But I just think with how long it's been since St. Pierre was actually competitively fighting with the last Hendricks fight, it's just... Too many gaps in there to to crown Nurmagomedov the uh, 
the GOAT in that situation. Now, that's not to say the UFC won't market it that way because it, it most certainly will. And as a fight promoter, promotion, I can't say that's a bad thing because if you want to get as many eyes as possible on that fight, well, well, that's how you do it, right? You, you build it up as, as a fight between the greatest welterweight of, of all time, the greatest lightweight of all time, and then the winner is just the greatest of all time. At least in the, uh, in the eyes of the marketing department at, at the UFC. The other day, well, I don't even remember what day it was, I wrote something and I also said on the podcast that Dana White should be grilled by the MMA media for his appearance and for all the lies he told during the 2020 RNC. And I said that anything short of that would be a failure of the MMA media. Now, folks will always say, keep politics out of sports. And to a point, I understand that thinking. I won't do it. I don't think anybody should feel obligated to do that. Uh, because sports are politics, especially a global sport like the UFC. You can't avoid politics in a global sport. You just can't. I mean, you can try, and, and you can try and take it out, but you can't do it. There's too many moving parts in that situation, especially when fighters come from some, uh, some very difficult places and, and fight for the UFC. Um, and then when the president of the UFC makes it political by appearing at the 2020 Republican National Convention and shills for Donald Trump and just tells uh, blatant lies like he's promoting a fight, which he's not. He's in politics now. And to then just let him slide on by with, those, with some of the statements he made is a real real failure of the uh, MMA media. Um, and I understand why it's done, why I understand why the questions aren't asked. Uh, I think it's slimy that, it, that that's the way the UFC operates. Um, it operates with the media the same way it operates with its fighters. It, it uses fear to keep these folks in line and keep them from asking tough questions. And that's just gross and not the way things should work. But the UFC has always been an outlier. And they've established that they are not above being petty and uh, treating media uh, poorly if they don't serve the UFC's uh, purpose and do not, are not, are not an uh, unpaid PR wing for the UFC. The only questions that were asked were... Um, what was it like and what was the feedback so more or less you're just setting white up to say it was great and feedback's been great and everything's swell and that's and those questions shouldn't have been asked because they're slam dunk questions softball questions for white um yeah those questions were unnecessary the one necessary question was when White ridiculously claimed that Trump is the only president that he can remember who kept all of his campaign promises. 
and anyone I don't even know I would find it hard to for anyone in their right mind to to defend that even a Trump supporter would would be hard pressed to say that Trump if they're being the, if they're telling the truth would be hard pressed to say that Trump kept 100% of his promises and I referenced during the fact check I referenced PolitiFact who went through 100 of Trump's campaign promises because to go through all of his promises would be a uh, would be more than one person could probably stomach and handle and they found that he kept 25 or something to that effect I, I, I forget off the top of mind he kept 25 he compromised on a bunch and then he flat out didn't deliver on a bunch but it was nowhere near 100 percent nowhere near and for white to claim that and also to claim that the uh someone was out there trying to defund fire departments is ridiculous and what else was there that was just crazy um he used the uh, racist dog whistle that trump uses about the violence in our great cities um that's one that stuck out another thing that should have been asked is how does he feel representing trump and pushing for trump when he has so many fighters on the ufc roster who are really affected by the by the things trump has done or wants to do he's got fighters i have to think that come from what trump called shithole countries he has lesbian fighters and lesbian couples in the in the ufc on on the ufc roster and trump's uh programs and trump's people in in trump's cabinet and the vice president are very very anti-gay lesbian um lgbtq they're very against that Uh, i mean pence is someone who supports the uh gay conversion which is just ridiculous and and hateful so the question then is, and as how does how does White feel doing all these things, supporting Trump on all these matters, and then coming back and having to face these fighters? It's it's a it's that's the question that should have been asked, but it wasn't, and it won't be, and White knew it wasn't, and knows it won't be, because all he has to do is threaten to take your credentials away, or take your access away, and the media will will uh, will do whatever white wants whatever the ufc wants in that so if it, if if the ufc wants the media to avoid a hard question they will avoid a hard question and it doesn't even have to be spoken anymore it's just known and that's the worst part of it you know not to ask these questions they don't even have to tell you not to ask the questions it's just known that's how ingrained all this bullshit is with the MMA media and the UFC. And, I mean, like I said many times, I used to play that game. I don't anymore. I made a conscious decision to not do that anymore. And it's cost me a bunch of things. So that you take that for what it's worth. But I knew that going into it when I changed the way I was going to cover things, that it was going to cost me. And I'm okay with that. Other people aren't going to be okay with that because they have to support their families. And I understand that from their point of view. What I don't understand is from the UFC's point of view that they think 
it's okay to do this, that they think they can control the media, that that's part of their business. That's not okay. And more people need to speak up on that and be honest with themselves. Even if you're doing what the UFC wants, at least be honest and say, look, I know this is what it is, and this is the reason I'm doing it or not doing it. And I think people will respect that because it's understandable. It's understandable that you have to make sacrifices to make a living sometimes. But it's the folks who pretend that they're not doing that when they are doing that that I find bothersome. Anyway, the point was UFC should have grilled White on some of the things he said at the RNC. They didn't, and it wasn't a surprise, but it is disappointing. If there's one thing we know about the uh, the Ultimate Fighter TV show and the people that win the quote-unquote six-fight, I mean six-figure contract from appearing on the, the Ultimate Fighter is that those contracts stink. I don't have the uh, numbers in front of me, but I know they are not good contracts. I think they, they probably start at 12 and 12, and I think they go up in very small increments of $2,000, I think was the last thing I looked at. Don't quote me on that. I'm not 100% sure. I'm going to try and get that information um, tomorrow. But until then, that's my belief, is that they go up in very small increments of $2,000 for a win. If you don't win, you obviously stay at the same rate, um, which is the way the UFC works. And we know that a lot of fighters complain about those contracts. And that's probably one of the reasons that Corey Anderson wanted out. And I know Roy Nelson was one of the fighters that was unhappy about the uh, the Ultimate Fighter contract. But it's a good way for the UFC to save money and lock a fighter up for a long while. And that is why I'm going to praise the UFC and Dana White for, for the Dana White Contender Series. Because what that does is it puts these fighters in these terrible contracts... And it ties them to the UFC for a long while. And it restocks the UFC roster with fighters who the fans will remember and know because of their appearances on the Contender Series. And the fact that White usually only gives deals to or tends to give deals to fighters who finish um, in fairly spectacular manners. Or at least they get knockouts or submissions that are memorable. And so that right away, because we know people are watching the Contender Series, it, it folks like it, and they like it much, much, much more than the, the Ultimate Fighter, and there's no reason not to, because they're seeing no drama in a, in, in a house where the drama is pretty much made to order. They're just seeing fights, and they're learning about the fighters during those shows, and that's, I mean, there is nothing wrong with the Contender Series. I like it. I think it's much better than the... Uh, being the ultimate fighter and I would I would much prefer to have no ultimate fighter and more contender series from a viewing standpoint. Now from a contractual standpoint, I would rather have better deals for the fighters who come out of both. And they're bad deals. They're just bad deals. And there's no way to get around that. I mean Sean O'Malley was, was complaining about his deal as well. So the genius of the contender series is it 
White signs these folks to bad contracts, low price contracts, and ties them to those contracts, and they move up very slowly up the up the ladder. And they are fighters that, like I said, folks recognize because they watch they watch con- contender series. And so, from a business standpoint, it's a plus work from the UFC, and that's why we're seeing more and more fighters signed from the contender series, and that's why it's going to be probably multiple seasons per year under a under a uh, a, a, a different scenario in the world because we're kind of in a bad spot right now if you didn't notice with COVID-19 it's a it's a genius move very smart stocks the roster gives you gives the fans somebody to care about you don't have to watch these folks on the uh, on the independent circuit um, you watch them on the contender series they win they win spectacularly all right I'm a fan of that guy or that girl and I'm going to watch them move up the ranks. But I'm not going to think about how poorly they're getting paid because I don't want to think about that. But that's what I do think about. I think about that quite often, if if you don't know. So, yeah, I think from a business standpoint, very good work. Very good work on the Contender Series by the UFC and Dana White because it costs them nothing to stage these fights more or less because they're at the apex and it costs them very little then to sign and keep these fighters tied to the UFC for however long they're going to keep them because of their contracts. So, like I said, great business decision, not so great decision for the fighters. So I saw today that the woman who, I think it was during Christmas or something of, of around there, um, that made uh, went viral for getting in a fight at Best Buy that with someone who was trying to steal from a TV from the Best Buy um, has been hired by the UFC and she's been working for the UFC for eight weeks and that is fantastic for her great for her I won't say anything bad about that because she got an opportunity and took it so good for her and now she is an employee of the UFC what irks me about this is people are going to celebrate this and in a vacuum in a vacuum this is something good and something to celebrate but when you get out of that vacuum when you open your eyes when you take your blinders off and you look over to the right and you see there's approximately 500 to 600 fighters who make all the money for the ufc and then you think wait are they employees are are the independent contractors? Do they get paid a paycheck every every week? Do they get benefits every week? If they get sick, do they have to go into their pocket? If their kid gets sick, do they have to go into their pocket? And then you realize that, oh yeah, the folks that make the money for the UFC aren't employees. And then you think, well, that's pretty shitty, isn't it? And yeah, it is. So while the UFC is going to do uh, whatever it's going to do with 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 this with the woman that they hired, and again, nothing against her because she got an opportunity and took it. Like I would do the same if it was paid me and it was guaranteed and I got benefits and all that jazz. Yeah, I would. I would take it. But I would also feel pretty shitty that the fighters are not employees 
the, the people who are in way much danger of getting hurt, um, not just during their fighting, but while they're preparing for their jobs, getting hurt, um, they have no insurance. They have no paychecks. They get paid if they fight. So if they get hurt while they're training to get fight, while they're training the fight, they don't get paid. And that, that's what's make this so terrible. That's why this is a, a, a just a nasty thing, because you can't celebrate the fact that you hired this woman because of what you saw in a, a, a YouTube video, while you're also not taking care of the fighters who are making the UFC all the money that's paying for the UFC Apex, that's paid for the new UFC headquarters, that's going to pay for the UFC hotel, uh, and what uh, that paid for the, the PI and the PIs that are going to be built around the world. You can't celebrate the one and ignore the other. You can't do it. And if you are doing it, you're purposely ignoring that. You're staying purposely ignorant of the fact that the people who bring you the entertainment, the people that bring in the money, are treated the worst under the UFC banner. And that's got to bother you. And if it doesn't bother you, you're, you're, uh, I would say you're not a very good person because these folks deserve to be treated as professional athletes. They deserve to be paid as professional athletes. They deserve more than 16 to 18% of the revenue. So if you're going to celebrate one side of this, at the very least, mention the other side. Mention the ugly side. Because it's the ugly side that's paying Dana White's salary, and that new hire woman's salary, and everyone in between. And with that, I will close out for today. And everyone, I hope you stay safe.